You can listen to The Professional Left wherever you get your podcasts on Netroots Radio or at our website, proleftpod.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There is a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. This is the podcast for the week of February 16th, 2024. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from the Cornfield Resistance, where it's our anniversary show, but it's not the one you think it is. It's the professional left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. Yay! It's our anniversary. Yay! It is our anniversary. It's a different kind of anniversary. Our wedding anniversary is in August. Right. And uh, but this is the anniversary of us meeting face to face for the first time sixteen I know. years ago. I know, auspicious, very yeah, auspicious. Yeah, well, we had known each other online for quite yeah. some time. Yeah, you had a salon, and I, I would drop by there every now and then, and I liked your writing very much, and you liked my writing too, and we we corresponded and stuff. But, we did. We corresponded you know. and said hi, and we're really looking forward to meeting each other. Right. And so Shakespeare's sister did a meetup, and I was able to come up. This was. I was still married yes. to uh, my first husband, but uh, had already seen a lawyer about getting a divorce and everybody, everybody knew I was getting a divorce. Yeah. And so uh, came up I in did. February of 2008. I did not break up your marriage. You did not break up my marriage. No, <laughs> absolutely not. But uh, came up and met Shakespeare's sister, Melissa, and uh, her husband and she had arranged a whole meetup of her blog readers from the Chicago area. Uh-huh. And I was a, I guess, a special guest. Yes. And uh, you had been to other Shakespeare sister things, I think. You had met her before. Right? Yeah, I, I think we went to go see um, An Inconvenient Truth, I think. A bunch yeah. of us went to uh-huh. Evanston Theater to see that. And yeah, I, I knew her. I'd, I'd been to... um. Athena Wise's house met her and uh-huh. her husband, and so I I was not, you were uh, uh, sort of a part of that sur- social circle a little yeah. bit, yeah. And so uh, I went, and then here comes this very tall man into the room, hello, hello. and hugs Melissa, and Melissa walks you over to me. Yes, this is blue. And uh, you sat down next to me, and you did not leave. No, I just decided <laughs> this is my area now. This is my yeah. area. So yeah, yeah, the whole evening you were right next to me. Yeah. And and I love that. It was lovely. Yeah. And then lovely. Uh, uh I don't know how much more we want to talk about this, but well, again, that's this is the the pro left after dark we talk about a, a well, whole bunch yeah. more. Waka Jawaka. That there was there's no Waka Jawaka to talk about, but no. um you know, you did come down to visit me in the summer when I lived in Springfield. By that time yes. I was divorced and living in yeah. Springfield in summer of 2008. Yeah. And, uh, and Drift Glass said to me, you know, you probably don't want a relationship right now <laughs> because yeah. you just got divorced. But when you do, there's going to be a line of men around the block. Uh-huh. And I want to be first in line. That's right. So I don't and, and you were and you were first <laughs> yeah. in line at that yeah. point. You were first in line. So and you that visited, worked out very well for everybody. And you visited me up in Chicago a couple of times and brought yeah. the kids along. You know, yep. and we had a marvelous if chilly time up there with a visit to the um, Garfield Park Conservatory in the middle of yes. dead of winter, which was wonderful. You and I think totally a revelation. adjusted to one yeah. with autism and two with, you know, the wiring of very bright people. Ah, <laughs> bright little people. And we yes. had the massive blizzard that trapped you up here for a few extra yeah. days. Yeah, and trapped so, you down here also. There, yeah. was a, there were a couple snowstorms. We that had, did that. Yeah, I had a I had a little parking area out behind my condo, and we had snow drifts that were three, four feet deep. So, oh, yeah, the kids had a measured ball out in there. children. They were four yes. children high. Yeah. Yeah. So somehow yeah. we survived all that. And, yeah, and here we are yeah. today, and and that was sixteen years ago that you and yeah. I met today, as of today, it, February fifteenth mm-hmm. is the day we met face to face, officially met uh, at the Shakespeare Sister Meetup. And the rest is history. Yeah. Now, now, very awkward transition to the next topic. Yeah, we have, of course, this has been a very serious week in a lot of ways. And we're going to just go right to the most serious issue this week, which was another mass shooting. There was another mass shooting this week. 
This time it was at a parade celebrating the Kansas City Chief winning the Super Bowl, Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. As of this uh, podcast, there was one dead, 10 to 12 wounded. Um, we have nothing to add other than this is going to go on until the Republican Party is destroyed and Fox News and all of their imitators are destroyed and same gun laws are enacted and enforced in this country. There's just that's just that's just the truth of it. And I wish it weren't so. I wish it were there was some other magic thing we could do. But the truth of the matter is there is a political party that's causing this problem. There's a propaganda element to the political party that that keeps them doing this. The the people who want mass murder weapons on the streets all the time, everywhere, have a shit ton of money and they spend it to make sure. And it's very clear what the dividing line is. And it's very clear that majority rule doesn't mean shit in this country because the overwhelming majority of people in this country would like sane gun control laws and the majority of the people in this country aren't getting what they want. Right. Um, And the minority are heavily armed and paranoid and dangerous and they make sure everybody has all the guns they want. All the crazy people can have all the guns they want. And there's nothing more for me to say other than. Well, uh, except that our youngest is in Missouri. Yeah. Well, yeah. Going to college. Yep. And so boycotting Missouri is not possible for us. Right. Regardless of what Keith Olbermann might say. He doesn't have kids in college. No. And we did listen um, to Keith Olbermann this morning. And uh, the, the point he made was a good one. It's not a new one, but it's a good one. Is that today was also the anniversary of another mass shooting. But every day is the anniversary day. of a mass shooting. Every yeah. single day on the calendar, there is a mass shooting. There was a mass shooting. There will be a mass shooting somewhere sometime. And that's just going to go on and on and on. Uh, until it becomes so intolerable that the majority of people in this country uh, destroy the Republican Party mm-hmm. and destroy Fox News and destroy all of their imitators because yeah. they are the problem. The guns are the problem, but we don't get to the guns as long as those people are are. That's the hill they're willing to die on. Right. So. Right. And and the- youngest child went to Missouri because there's more to protest there, mom. There is. There is. And there is. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is also um, Lent. Lent, yes. Glass and I went last night to get our ashes, and yep. uh, the sermon at it was a sermonette huh. uh, was very much about you know shootings and and mortality and uh, the things that we have to confront. Mm-hmm. Um, justice, injustice. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if America could give up mass shootings for forty days? Yeah, for yeah, Lent. Wouldn't that be great yeah. for Lent? Um, so. I try as a person of faith and justice uh, to do something for Lent every year, try to find a study or some sort of discipline to get through uh, this period and commemorate it. And um, this year I am using a guidebook called 40 Days with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bonhoeffer is a hero because he was... uh, executed by Hitler for the crime of trying to assassinate Hitler and trying to overthrow the Nazi regime in Germany. Mm -hmm. But uh, first he was imprisoned by Hitler for two years and not in a concentration camp because he was a prominent German minister, not a Jew. That's right. Uh, So he was in one of the nice Nazi prisons, such as they are. Uh, He had access to not just food and a bed, but also paper and ink and postage and the ability to write letters to his friends. And uh, he wrote letters in prison, which are translated and published and studied in divinity schools around the world. Um, I have a stack, and and Driftglass knows this, I have Uh. a stack of, you know, religious books, and and I am someone who studies scripture and and so forth. That's my background. And um, so I have a stack of like 40-day Lenten study books, and I went through them last weekend to see what I would like to do. And the one on Bonhoeffer just seemed appropriate to the time because uh, in spite of the fact that, that Bonhoeffer, he was anti-Nazi, but he was not a liberal. He right. was a conservative Lutheran from what one writer called a semi-aristocratic family. Um, but he did have, well, I found this very interesting. He had a love for the American black church, which he discovered visiting Union Theological Seminary in New York City in the 1930s. And he attended church in Harlem. While he was in the United States, uh, he had, but he had guts, you know, this is the thing. And I think he had guts, but he also had hubris. That was the word I was looking for earlier when we were oh, rehearsing. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was in New York city in 1939 
And uh, his friend said, you know, looking over at the news over there, I think you better stay here. And he said, no, I'm going back. I'm going back to fight for my country. And he joined the resistance inside Germany, uh -huh. uh, was caught in a plot to assassinate Hitler. And again, hubris, the, the plan and, and whether how involved he was is not clear to me yet, but um, he knew about the plan. And the plan was to kill Hitler, overthrow the Nazi government, and then negotiate a peace, peace treaty with England as, sure. as the, representative, the new representatives of the German government. Yeah. That's hubris. <laughs> well, I, and I think there's, a, there's the, you know, the war's going badly. Mm -hmm. um, generals know it. Yeah. And there's some like there's some hope that once the bad man is dead, and some of his lieutenants are dead, presumably, the the generals who do not want to see their country completely destroyed would have the good sense to sue for peace, uh huh, and and get uh -huh. it on better terms than than they would, would just letting the tanks roll in. Yeah. yeah. Well, we all know how that turned out. Yeah, we do. Um. So yeah, I it seems quite overconfident, and the confidence of a person with an aristocratic family and a good education with God um, on his side. Don't forget with and God, God on his side. side. Well, right. you know, not to get, not to get all Mike Johnson on us, but yeah. uh, I am looking forward to studying some of his writings. He loved the Psalms. He was, um, and then he wrote a lot. So it's kind of interesting to, to read what he had to say. Mm -hmm. um, and you and I talk a lot about when, when we talk about him about cheap grace yeah, and how, you know, the I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. And I have to think about the, my past because Jesus, I'm watching the blood of the lamb. The end right. is not, and again, that's he's not a liberal in that regard. He's a, he is a Calvinist. You got to fight for your right to be saved. <laughs> you know, that's it. Yeah. And, and life de has demands of you. Uh, and I, I think that's valuable. That's a valuable lesson. So, I, um, when taking notes last night in church, which I do from time to time. Yes, I saw you I, pull out your little notebook. Ideas come to me from time to time. And I just thought, you know what? Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. He did not say, forgive them, even though they damn well know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. people who, who demand cheap grace, and cheap grace just means I want to be forgiven and I want to this all to be behind me without atoning for anything yeah. or fixing anything or even admitting and I was wrong. Are you a good person? Good people would forgive me for that. Yeah. Right. Just, yeah. I, I don't even want to admit I'm wrong because my hair would, my head would explode. Mm -hmm. um, and cheap grace is what runs through a great deal of the commentary that I have made over the years about uh, the vast never Trump movement that has colonized yeah. the, the liberal media um, who some of them every now and then admit small mistakes uh, but there's just this absolute pathology about, I, I'm not going to admit it was me. You see it in Joe Scarborough. I'm not going to admit that I ever supported Donald Trump. And I have a TV, I have TV cameras and I have control of this fucking network and I can just wipe the past away and pretend that it never happened. And my economic viability, my job depends on me lying about my past. I saw I saw David Brooks do it in person, in a pulpit, at a church, mm -hmm. lying a, about his past. In a pulpit, yes. And he just skates. And no, nobody holds them accountable. And that's what I mean about cheap grace. It is not that they get away with murder. That's maddening enough. It's their, the expectation that that's their right to get away with murder. That I should not be held accountable because, you know, things happen. We move on. Please just forgive me. Give me ouchless redemption and let me move on with my book deals and my speaking engagements and my MSNBC contracts and so on and so forth. Which Can I, can never... I add something, Drew Glass, to sure, that? Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah there you go yeah. you got that teed up and ready yeah just keep <laughs> I, that one i on have tap. that as a as a sound chip yes yeah. because it really is all those people who were wrong and wrong and wrong and wrong and wrong uh, who finally got spit out of the republican party like one spits out a piece of gristle mm -hmm. um are now like you know we were so right god damn it we were so right. And then we get no credit. For, well, you get no credit except for your book deals, except yeah, for your MSNBC contract. $150,000 a year just from for, MSNBC. Except for yes. all the shit that you got. Uh, and you had to, I'm, I'm sorry, you you had to lose all your Nazi friends. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry you didn't get to work for the Nazi party anymore. I'm sure yeah. that was, you know, as a hit in the pocketbook. Well, the but, cocktail parties from what, from Tim Miller's book, the cocktail parties in the Republican side yeah. were great. Yeah. But nobody there is missing a meal. Nobody there right. has to hold out a tip jar to, to support themselves. 
Yeah. They just went from one, um, one trough to another, one, uh, one bit of easy money to another. And I, I appreciate what they say now, but it is the whitewashing of history. It's lying about the past that got us in the position in the first place. And it's yeah. endemic. The media does it all the time. And, you know, our allies do it all the time. And it's yeah. just exhausting. Now, another transition to I, I participated in an accidental troll experiment this week. Did not intend this to be an experiment. Did not intend any of this to happen. But I sent out one tweet with two words on it. That's it. One tweet, two words. I've, t- I've tweeted, I don't know, a million, jillion times. I've tweeted it so often I've been kicked off Twitter five times. One forever for life. Mm-hmm. I was never going to return. And then a year later, I said, are you sure? And they said, oh, yeah, this was a mistake. Let me back on. But I have been on there for a good long time. I'm on other social media platforms too. But I just did one Photoshop of, of Biden next to Trump and the word statesman under Biden and the word madman under Trump. One tweet, two words. Now, the maximum number of comments I have ever gotten on anything I've ever done on social media ever and I've been on Twitter since, I don't know, 2010 or so. 44, about 44. That's it. That's it. For me, that's big. That's a big deal. I know that's a rounding error for a lot of people, but for me, that's a big deal. Number of replies to this tweet, 400. Wow. Virtually all of them, 99.3% of them from trolls. Um, because it, my, my response was, 96% of Americans can tell the difference. And there was some big deal about 96% and a poll number. And it's bullshit. No, that's That's not true. But I figure, you know, as long as we're not playing by the rules anymore, mm-hmm. as long as facts don't matter anymore, why not just stick this in their in their ass and snap it off? And they really didn't like that. <laughs> and and I discovered I didn't discover anything. This is nothing exposed, nothing discovered. It just sort of renewed what I, I've always known about them. First of all, you cannot distinguish between a Russian bot and a Republican voter anymore. There's simply no <laughs> distinction between the two. You literally can't. They speak the same language. They, th- they think the same thoughts. They are identical to each other uh, formally in a prose form in, in, a, in a public form. You couldn't tell the difference. They, the, the, the trolls or the, the Russian bots would pass the wingnut Turing test. You couldn't tell the difference between the two. Uh, they also have very, very limited vocabularies. They don't know what to do other than so uh, here's what I learned from my 400 uh, bots and wingnuts who showed up to tell me uh, that I was a a, uh, a fegula and a monster and uh, a, and a molester of children and so on and so forth. Uh, first of all, uh, COVID shots caused this this whole thing. I lost my mind because of my COVID shots. Uh, Joe Biden's a pedophile. Uh, Joe Biden has officially, by the Democratic Party, by a Democratic prosecutor, has been declared publicly unfit to stand trial because of mental incompetence. That's a fact. That, that's a judge handed that that down, and they know that to be true. Uh, Joe Biden wants to start World War III. The economy is Russian. In, that's a Russian. No, I I don't know. I really don't yeah. know hmm. uh, because I have zero respect for the you know the creatures that that clamber over this earth in human form that call themselves Republicans. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. don't respect them as as adult human beings anymore. I don't care what they think. I think they're trash. I think they know they're trash, and I think they want their trash president to run a trash country for their benefit, not their material benefit, mind you, but p- to make people like me cry. But you can't because mm-hmm. I've been on Twitter since 2010 and all my tears are gone. So um, Trump is a superman, superhuman with superhuman powers. Um, the little thing I did about the um, polling number, 86%, man, a bunch of, show me the link. Show me the link or isn't real. God, God show me. And I, <laughs> my response to all of them, 400 of them was <coughs> um, racist, fascist, rapist, daddy will never love you. Yeah. I think you had and orange in there orange. also. Yeah. Just to yeah. orange, orange, racist, fascist, rapist, daddy will never love you. Yeah. And that's all I yeah. had to say for all of them. And it, it, they didn't like that one bit. Um, I, I'm a moron, apparently. So, you know, I'm also being paid a lot of money by George Soros and the Democratic <laughs> Party. I'm a DNC <laughs> operative. Of um, course. Some of these ended in question marks as if they were trying to elicit a conversation with me. Fuck you. I don't respect you and I have no interest in conversing with you. I want to see you go away forever. Uh, I love the comparison with me and Rick Wilson. That made me really happy. Um, both of us are democratic squish liberal operatives. And uh, so me and Rick Wilson, pretty much the same person. And of course, swamp, <laughs> swamp, swamp, swamp. A swamp <laughs> creature. You're a swamp <laughs> creature from the swamp. Who's also swamp? Um, I am, again, 
deeply impressed by their collective stupidity, uh, by their racism, by their xenophobia, by their homophobia, by their extremely limited vocabulary, and by the fact that they're just awful people. Yeah. Awful, awful people. And they, yeah. But they took the time and trouble to come and castigate me personally for that. You know, I, and I really do believe now that we've done 7 million downloads of this podcast. Well, that's the thing. With this episode, I think it's going to turn over to 7 million downloads for the Professional Left podcast. Okay. Yeah. I've done. That's, com- that's coming from Buzzsprout, our podcast platform provider. Yeah. So, well, I've done, I don't know how many thousands of tweets. We've done mm-hmm. 7 million downloads. I've done. 11,000 and a half coming on 12,000 uh, blog entries over the last uh, 19 years. Mm-hmm. I believe, mm-hmm. Blue Gal, at this point, I can say I deserve better trolls than this. <laughs> I have earned there, better trolls than this. On, on Elon Musk's X, there are no better trolls. Yeah, I know. So you're, I know. You're, you're screwed in that regard. But, you know, I just got looped into an experiment and it was, you know, exciting for everyone involved. Well, and I'm glad you, I mean, you didn't engage. You just simply pushed back with the same line for everybody. Same, same line, yeah. 390 times, which was copy, yep. paste, copy, paste, and then block. Copy, paste, yep. block, copy, paste, block. If I could get an algorithm to do that for me, I would do it in a minute. <laughs> AI should do that for you. Yes, yeah. it should. Um, the Hollywood Reporter notes that John Stewart is facing massive backlash from Democrats over his comments about Joe Biden. Well, duh. Duh. He had really good ratings last week. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of it if he doesn't uh, get better because his performance Monday night was abysmal. It was terrible. It was terrible. Uh, the ingredients that made up the original Daily Show with Jon Stewart have already been disaggregated and found other homes. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to reassemble it, especially the both sides do it stuff. And it did. It felt ridiculous. It felt like he, you know, oh, well, voters should be allowed to ask about Biden's age. That was so not the point. This right. was a prosecutor inserted in inappropriately mm-hmm. inserting opinion into a statement which vindicated, completely exonerated Biden. Uh, no, um, no, it didn't. Uh, at least 40 trolls told me that that the prosecutor had found that Joe Biden was unfit to stand trial because of mental incompetence. Right. <laughs> That's what the report really said, Blue Gal. That's what it really said. Just read the well, report. Well, there were an awful lot of media misreadings of what actually happened. Yeah. And uh, I find that kind of fascinating if you just look at it through a fiction writer's lens. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, I'm old enough to remember when Bill Barr issued a four page summary. Yeah. Of the Mueller report. The lie. The so and it was a lie. lie. Yeah, it yeah. was a lie. But, you know, and I, I keep waiting for uh, Hunter Biden to just send out on Twitter, all caps, totally exonerated. And yeah. and then that's it, right? That's what happened. Well, then you're I, done. You don't have to I, talk about it. Hoax, hoax, hoax. And then it's over. I remember that the Bob Mueller, after that, just, he didn't want to be disrespecting the process. So he just sat on his fucking hands and didn't respond. He yeah. didn't get up and yeah. say, this is a lie. This is not what this report says. He just sat on his fucking hands and did nothing yep. after two years, expecting yeah. somehow, I don't know, Jesus or somebody was going to fix the whole thing and then just went well, away. I think he expected Congress to fix the whole thing. And I think he expected that Trump would be prosecuted mm-hmm. for obstruction of justice after he was president. But it wasn't his job after two years to stand up and say, Bill Barr just lied to you. Yeah, Apparently that, that was yeah, not his that job. Yeah, that to me was amazing. Yeah, you just sat uh, there. You know, my, my report will speak for itself is a total misunderstanding of the media and environment in which he lived. Yeah, he's like he's like he's a very old man who doesn't know anything about the way the world works anymore. Isn't that weird? You mean Anyways, like, like John Stewart? Just like John Stewart. <laughs> um, yes. And and I thought the best part of the episode was when Jordan Klepper called him out for both siderism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that was, I guess, supposed to be meta, but it was honest. And I've been watching since that night, since Monday night, because mm-hmm. Jordan Klepper is hosting. Yeah. Is doing a very good job of calling out Trumpers as mm-hmm. idiots mm-hmm. and and being funny about Trump. Now, he told a Biden is an old guy joke. I mean, you can insert those. Sure. I don't have a problem with that. But the idea that you're going to equally hone both of your blades mm-hmm. to be fair when you yeah, have a fair. rapist con uh-huh. man, traitor on one side, and an old man who's done a very good job as president. On the other. On the other. Yeah. That was um, um, he, he, but 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 
that's enough about Daily Show. What about the New York Times drift class? <laughs> <laughs> and well, and somebody did say, um, no, the, the, I'm sorry, it wasn't about John Stewart. It was about the Tim Miller takeover the Bulwark podcast. No, oh, because he's, he's, yeah, the retirement, right? Because Monday, uh, it was AB Stoddard and uh, Bill Crystal sniffing incessantly and bitching that that Joe Biden needs to step down, drop out immediately. Oh. And then Tuesday, it was James Carvel talking about Joe Biden needs to step down immediately. And then Wednesday, it was uh, Dean Phillips. <laughs> so like, and, and everyone, and I'm just, I'm observing this from a distance going, wow, this is a fucking train wreck. Mm-hmm. And a whole bunch of, of, of regular fans. I am not a fan. I am a, a listener the same way you listen to the enemy broadcasts from another, from an enemy country to figure out what they're going to do. Or like, what is wrong with you? You sound like, a New York Times op-ed now, mm-hmm. um, because it's it's just what what what's wrong with you? Um, but speaking of the New York Times, I uh, I was forwarded this article by Jameson Foser. Um, he has a I'm not sure if it's a blog or a Substack. It's a something. It's a place where he keeps his writing called Finding Gravity. And I found this. It's a very long article. I'm going to talk about it very briefly. Just a couple of paragraphs. But the headline of this. Uh, post is, yes, Democrats should criticize the New York Times. It won't stop the Times from doing big things badly, but there are other important benefits. So he continues, nothing about the New York Times conduct over the past three days, three years, or three decades should surprise anyone who's been paying even a little attention to the paper. And I got to say, I've been lectured more than once on the fact that, you know, they do some good work over there <laughs> by people who are about to have their articles published in the New York Times. Uh, the Times is a newspaper that falsely portrayed Al Gore as a serial liar and George W. Bush as a straight talker. Uh, they treated Hillary Clinton's email hygiene practices as the most important issue in 2016 and routinely portrayed Donald Trump as a law and order candidate despite his repeated flagrant lawbreaking. It is politically a Republican newspaper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not the liberal New York Times. Uh, there are a lot of reasons why the Times did all that and why it spent the last three days portraying Joe Biden as a senile old man with one foot in the grave and Donald Trump as the after photo in one of those testosterone-boosting scams that advertised during televised sporting events. I've written about most of those reasons, often at great length, for more than 20 years. I'm sure you're just as tired as we are, James. And I won't belabor each of them here. What they add up to is that functionally, the New York Times is a Republican newspaper Long has been and likely long will be. First, I very much agree that the most important thing the anti-Trump coalition can talk about for the next 10 months is how thoroughly awful Trump is and how unimaginably worse everything would be under a Trump presidency than a Biden presidency. Second, I agree that times ain't a change in any time soon. 20 years ago, I co-created Media Matters for America in large part in response to the New York Times coverage of Whitewater, the 2000 wow. presidential campaign. And the Bush administration's push for the war in Iraq. I've spent a deeply depressing amount of of my life, both professionally and as the world's worst hobby, trying to get the times to change. And short of that, trying to get more people to understand its flaws so fewer will be led astray by it. Whatever the opposite of boasting is, that's what I'm doing when I say few people alive are more aware than I am of the times flaws or the long odds against the paper getting much better as long as the Schulzberger family remain in control of it. And even a change in control would not likely lead to a change in behavior. The Times peer news companies behave in much the same way, unquote. But, and I'm not going to, I'll just summarize the rest of the article. He goes on to say that at the margins, at the margins, which is where you and I live, Blue Gal. Yeah. Continuous, yeah. focused, forceful media pressure can change behavior a little bit. A mm-hmm. little bit that you can push them around a little bit, and as unsatisfying as that is, as immensely frustrating as that is, because you can see what they should do, and you can see that they're not doing it, and they will not respond to people telling them, asking them, "Why are you doing this?" As dissatisfying as it is, making a little change at the margins might make all the difference in November. And so, th- it sort of hit this art- article sort of hit just right. Mm-hmm. You're not crazy. Mm-hmm. The New York Times is as shitty as you think it is. But if we push hard enough, we can budge things just enough, maybe, for November to not be a disaster. Well, and let, and let's remember that the Biden-Harris HQ channel yeah. on Twitter is directly addressing the New York Times by yeah. name. 
Yes. Which spills over to the late night talk shows. And uh -huh. I've said to you many times that Jimmy Kimmel is far more influential in terms of getting those. I'm an independent. I'm not political voters right. Right. to say, Oh wait, there is something wrong here. I need to go vote and I'll go vote. It'll, it'll make me look bad if I vote for Trump. Well, so, and you know, the, Everyone's one, laughing at Trump, so I'll, I'm going to vote for Biden so no one laughs at me. And that if it, that's the only argument they make, mm -hmm. the only reasoning they make is Jimmy Kimmel has shown me what a buffoon Trump is. And it would be embarrassing the, to vote for him. That was the original virtue of mm -hmm. The Daily Show. Yes, which was, right. Which was legacy media would not cover the insanity of the Bush administration right. directly. Right. But they would cover John Stewart laughing about it. Exactly. It's it, and that's that's their Chris Matthews would always have clips of John Stewart. Yeah. That was their prophylactic. My friend John Stewart laughing about Bush. Yes. It's not right. me. It's not me. I'm not doing this. I'm it, and it's John Stewart doing my job for me because I right. should be the one pointing the camera and saying this guy's a liar and he's a disaster. And I can't do that because I'd be fired by Joe Scarborough if I did that. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but but that, you know, John Stewart doesn't do that anymore. He's retired and he went away and Anyway, moving on. Moving on, House Republicans voted to impeach Homeland Sec Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas on their second try by a single vote. They did it the day before the uh, New York 03 seat was decided for a Democrat. Uh huh. Uh, and then they went on vacation. Uh, yeah. Yep. And uh, one brave Republican member of Congress would not be silent, however, about this blatantly partisan treachery. And here he is. The founding fathers, the founders of this country warned against single party impeachment. They said that it would be bitterly divisive, perhaps irreparably divisive for the country. The founders of this country warned us against a single party impeachment because they feared it would bitterly and perhaps irreparably divide our nation. The founders of this country warned against a single party impeachment. You know why? You guys know why. Because they feared it would bitterly and perhaps irreparably divide our nation. The founding fathers warned us. I mean, they feared a single-party impeachment. They knew that it would bitterly divide the country. It might be irreparable damage to the country. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm being told that that very brave Republican member of Congress is not, in fact, talking about the bullshit impeachment of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas this week. That was Speaker of the House Mike Johnson. Back in 2019, when he was just another backbench crackpot from Louisiana, talking about the very legitimate and well-supported impeachment of Donald Trump over actual acts of treason. That was back in 2019. Mm -hmm. My, oh my. Uh, the Mayorkas impeachment trial, to the extent that the Democratic Senate will allow it to happen. And, and here's the important thing. The Senate does have quite a bit of leeway in setting the rules for the trial. And those rules are set by majority vote. You don't need 60 votes to set the rules. You need two thirds to convict in the Senate. Right. That's right. But setting the rules is simple majority. This trial, to the extent that it even happens, is going to be lit. Going to be lit, Lou. Yeah. <laughs> going to be lit. We've got Marjorie Taylor Greene, Harriet Lasso Lady Hageman, and Andy Biggs uh -huh. as impeachment managers. Now, yeah. they are very good at sending out fundraising texts to their stupid MAGA types. Mm -hmm. But being able to handle a trial yeah. and questions from Democrats in the Senate. And, and I, I'm going to go back to this again. Being able to navigate Senate rules set by Democrats. Because Marjorie Taylor Greene barely knows the rules of the House. Yeah. Yeah. And she doesn't know the rules of the Senate. But you know who does, Driftglass? Uh-huh. Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer knows the rules like the back I'm of I'm going to have some soup. Before you say anything, nice cup of soup on a hot, on a cold day, nice hot cup of soup. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm and then, down, And by the lady. way, we have to vote on this, on the trial rules. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, but I have all of the Democratic senators here and the vice president voting and we're going to set real guidelines and uh -huh. and boundaries as to what will happen and what won't happen in this trial. I'm, and so I'm, I'm going to be keeping a, a really close ear on what 
Lawrence O'Donnell says about this as it proceeds, because he knows the rules of the Senate as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they're in for a world of hurt. It's going to be lit, I, regardless I, I, of how it unfolds and wh- how much how much further it goes. I'm hoping that they call Marjorie Taylor Greene as a witness to ask her questions. <laughs> I'm hoping that it ends up being like Alex Jones testifying and the judge yeah, saying, this yeah. is not your fucking show. This right. is a trial. You have to tell the truth. You're under oath. Answer yeah. the question. And every time Marjorie Taylor Greene decides to do a little fundraising blip, some you know, whoever's running the trial bangs the gavel and says, that's not the question. The question yeah. is, what exactly is the crime? By statute... And and uh, subsection in the article, what exactly is the crime for which we have, you have dragged us all here today? Please mm-hmm. be specific. Mm-hmm. And if it's incompetence, why are you still here? <laughs> if it's inability to do your job because you don't have the funding, why mm-hmm. don't you go trot on back to the House of Representatives yeah. and provide some goddamn funding? Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I can see this. This could be if... Democratic senators feel like playing a hardball. This could be quite a bit of sport yep. for the yep. for us over the summer. Um, my next topic is pundits, Blue Gal. I, I rarely stray into the the category of critiquing the media and talking about pundits, but um, here's a thing I know to be true: pundits never learn. They claim that they learn, they promise they'll learn, but they never learn. Now, Blue Gal. Does yes. March 1st, 2016 ring a bell? Well, that March was the election 1st, year. That's all. Uh, that's what I know about it. March 1st, 2016 was Super Tuesday. Oh. And, and in the Republican primaries. And in those primaries, Trump crushed everyone else. It was not quite a sweep, but it was damn near a sweep. And on the news hour, you know, the PBS news hour. Uh, both oh, I know late... where this is going now. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, eventually all rivers wind down to the sea, Blue Gal. Uh, both the late Mark Shields and David Brooks had the look of men who just discovered the hard way that someone had taken a giant dump in their beef stroganoff. Oh, God, what did I just find into? What's going on? They were very unhappy. Um, they were perfectly fine with uh, Hillary Clinton being in the lead and having a commanding lead and so forth, but the idea that Trump was sweeping everybody caught them on their back feet. And for the rest of the month of March, it only got worse. By the end of the month, uh, it was pretty clear who was going to be the Republican nominee. And David Brooks, who had sworn on the lives of his children that this was impossible, that Donald Trump could not possibly be the nominee. The whole idea was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. This could never happen. By the end of March, he was begging his job begging for his job, uh, telling his bosses not to fire him, not in so many words, uh, both in his New York Times column and on the now defunct Charlie Rose show, the the long since defunct Charlie Rose show. And there are very few written records left of those times. Blue Gal, they've mostly been lost in the the fire of, of 21. But some of us have in our archives the actual transcripts from those shows because we thought maybe one day they'd come in handy. And so this is actually David Brooks on the Charlie Rose show. Listen to him begging his bosses to keep his job and then talking about how, oops, I made a little boo-boo and I'll have to fix that. This is David Brooks. I messed up big time and not knowing Trump was coming. And so when something like that happens, you take a look at yourself and you think, what did I miss about America? And and I, I, I'm too much in the Acela corridor. I've got to get out. That's That's one thing. Believe me, I travel every week. But I'm here at a college here, and so I'm always within the bubble. So I've got to get out. But then the other thing is, like, I've achieved way more career success than I ever thought I would. So it's time to take some chances on the spiritual realm, on oh. the personal, the emotional realm. He, he's in a glass cage of emotion, Blue Gal. He's got to get out. <laughs> he's got, somebody taught him that a cellar corridor is actually a curse word out here in the rest of the world. So yeah. he's like, you know, believe me, I get it. I made a little boo-boo. I made a mistake. I'm gonna, but I'm gonna get out there. I'm gonna get out there. I promise you. But 20 minutes later, in the same conversation, he cannot fucking help himself. Here he is explaining that really, really, it was kind of Barack Obama's fault. Oh, uh, Barack Obama was the one who set the tone for all this acrimony because Obama, listen carefully, Blue Gal, mm-hmm. refused to compromise with the Republican Party. <laughs> this is David Brooks. Uh, from that same conversation, 
I think what Barack Obama taught us, it's not enough to be a skilled politician. He came in wanting to transcend every line you could imagine and create a governing majority. But his policies that he came in with were orthodox democratic policies. So you have uh, you have he to have a set He came in of, with Romney care, Driftglass. That's right, Blue Gal. But you have to have a set of policies that cut across lines, Blue Gal. A little from column A and a little from column B. He came in proposing the Republicans' own plan. And by the way, as we now know, the Republican leadership met the caucus room the day he was inaugurated and swore a blood oath among each other to to kneecap him at every opportunity, to stop him from getting anything done. Whatever he proposed, they were against it. Whatever he said he wanted, they didn't want it. Whenever he said, look, I'll support your bill, they would filibuster their own bill. They had sworn an oath to destroy him. And David Brooks at this point and Charlie Rose both fucking well know it. They, They can't possibly be this stupid. David Brooks at this point goddamn well knows he's lying. But he's got to lie because defending the both sides do it lie is the only thing keeping him and Charlie Rose and the rest of these fuckers employed. So he's sitting there lying his ass off about Barack Obama, refusing to compromise with the Republicans, but at the same time saying, look, I messed up. I messed up. I didn't know what was going on. I missed something. I didn't know about the Republican Party, but I'll get it right. And so back in 2016... David Brooks found out the Republican Party, Blue Gal, was full of Republicans. Full of Republicans. And he traveled around the country like David Brooks in Lost in America, touching Indians and gaining wisdom <laughs> and from the from sea to shining sea and the rest of that song and came back transformed and renewed and finally able to see the Republican Party clearly for what it truly was. And he would never make this mistake again. Right? Isn't that right? Uh-huh. Nope. That's absolutely not true, Blue Gal. This is from David Brooks, who was once again trolling me in his newspaper today. Personally, he was trolling me last week. This is from today? This is from a week ago. This is from last week. That's Friday. Okay. When he re-re-rediscovered the Republican Party, Blue Gal. Shocking. (laughs) He found out the Republican Party was, was full of Republicans. Again, this is a quote from his article. I thought I was beyond shockable. But this week, I have been profoundly shocked. Oh, I'm sorry. Has been profoundly shocking for me. I spent the bulk of my adult life on the right-wing side of things, generally rooting for the Republican Party, because I thought that party best served America. People like Sarah Palin and Donald Trump chased me out of the Republican orbit gradually and then all at once, but I still have held out the hope that many of my friends on the right are kind of like an occupied country. They have to mouth the Trumpian prejudices to survive in this era, but somewhere deep inside, blue gal. Way down deep. The party of Reagan still lives in their souls. Oh, Lord. Because you can't ever punch him in the face hard enough to wake him the fuck up and make him stop lying about his Republican Party. But then, then, this is the part I just love so very much. So tasty. Then comes the inevitable smug condescension. Mm-hmm. Direct address to me, Blue Gal. Me and you. Okay. This is David Brooks. My progressive readers are now thinking, have you not been paying attention? Donald Trump has owned this party for years. If he told them to kill the immigration compromise because he needed a campaign issue, they were going to kill that proposal. To which I respond, I don't think you quite understand what just happened. Yeah. Because progressives (sighs) don't really understand the Republican Party. You know who understands the Republican Party, Blue Gal? David Brooks. David he's Brooks. The, he's the one who really, you know, he has been disappointed and brokenhearted over and over again. And he, he's the one who you should turn to because he gets paid money to have opinions like this. And the funny thing is, this is virtually the same column that New York Times, one of his fellow conservative hacks, the New York Times, David French, wrote last week. And yeah. that we previously yeah. discussed last week. It's another, I guess I never really understood the Republican Party column from another guy who's hired specifically because he claimed to really, really understand the Republican Party. And that's all I have to say about that. Wow. Well, and because the New York Times, what Jameson Foser said, yeah. it's it's a hometown Republican newspaper owned by the Schultzberger family. Yep. yep. They're going to keep I... on being paid to write <clears throat> safe Republican crap that makes their owner readers happy. And yeah. four years from now, We'll be back to this podcast on our 8 millionth or 9 millionth download. And I'll be saying, you know what? <laughs> David Brooks wrote in the paper today. You know, he said, I'll be I, like, I, I really? Think I, Do we have I, to talk about this? 
four years now with me, I think I finally figured out the Republican Party. And let me tell you why. Progressive sit down because you don't understand Republicans like I do. So let me explain to you what they're really thinking out there. Anyway, yeah. moving on. Kevin I'm, I'm waiting. I can't wait for uh, 2025 and Democratic overreach from David oh, yeah. Brooks. Yeah. Well, it's, it's there. It's just waiting yeah. for them. Meanwhile, not Kevin um, Matthews, Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy. Do you remember him? I Barely. He's like a gray blur in my memory. Kevin. Um, Q-E-V-I-N. Kevin. What, what, wait a minute. Wasn't he one of those big uh, big guns, top guns? He was young guns. Young guns. That's right. He was a young, young guns. Gun. Yeah. yeah. He was one of the young guns. There's no more young guns, Drift Glass. Nope. Uh, and they kicked Kevin McCarthy out and he left the house and he's gone forever. And he's retiring to a nice, quiet life where he does nothing but... Enjoy the California sunshine, right? Right, exactly. No, no, no. Kevin McCarthy is in a vengeful mood toward his former house colleagues. That doesn't sound very Christian. And he has friends who also are in a vengeful mood. This is via Joan McCarter at Daily Coast. From primary challenges to getting blackballed from House Republican caucuses, the eight Republicans who ousted former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy are feeling the blowback. His allies, and he has many of them, are making sure of that. Where the real hammer is falling on this eight is in their fundraising. <laughs> Others, including Representative Tim Burchett of Tennessee, Andy Biggs, there's Andy Biggs again, of Arizona, mm -hmm. and Eli Crane, acknowledge that the big donors aren't taking their calls anymore. Burchett told CNN's Manu Raju that he absolutely had seen his donations dry up. Quote, some very wealthy folks, and they've been very kind to me in the past, Burchett said of donors who had dropped him. And I hope that we can mend the fences, he added. Uh-huh. Good luck to him on that one, says Joan McCarter. Crane of Arizona told Raju he was feeling a fundraising hit, yeah, that's definitely a reality, he said. And I think anybody that participated in that knew that going forward. Yeah. He's right. They knew what they were doing, and they asked for this. Booting McCarthy meant ousting their most effective fundraiser. Ousting him meant pissing off all those big donors he, Kevin, had been cultivating all these years. They are friends of Kev. And they are happy to help him get his revenge. Let them fight. And then you have Laura Trump being installed by the Donald as RNC co-chair, apparently. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, but, uh, you know, Donald wants a South Carolina election denier and his daughter-in-law to be running the Republican coffers. Exactly. Exactly. And, and Republican House members are so screwed because they mm -hmm. are on the bottom of that feeding trolley. They're going to they get, get nothing. They get the scraps that Donald Trump leaves behind. And he doesn't right. live. And many... There aren't going to be any scraps. And the, no. and the big funders for, you know, when they, when they realize they're not going to get their tax cuts because Biden's going to get reelected. Why spend the money? Right. Wait, wait, a, wait two years, wait four years, but no, yeah. why spend it now? This is when, you know, when they're failing. Yeah. Just you look back at a losing horse. You don't do that. You it's, wait. It's called, doing a Ron DeSantis. You pile $150 million in the middle of a field and you set it on and fire. set fire to it. Yes. For no good reason. So <clears throat> they'll keep their money, they'll close their purses, and they'll, and they'll make Kev very happy. Mm -hmm. um, let's do a news roundup, and let's start sure. off with another person who has revenge on, on his mind. Oh, vengeance yeah. In his heart. That's right. Um, this week, Democrats won a special election and flipped George Santos' seat in the House. Um, Tom Suozzi defeated Republican Mazzy Pilip to take the seat vacated by George Santos, who was indicted on a charge of fraud and then expelled from Congress. When Swazi is sworn in, Republicans will control 219 seats and Democrats will control 213, meaning Republicans will only be able to lose two votes to pass legislation on party-line votes if all members are present and voting. But honestly, between you and I, Blue Gal, the yeah. highlight of the evening was George Santos Texting a group chat with the top New York Republicans in the House. This is Santos texting, quote, I hope you guys are happy with this dismal performance and your 10 million for feudal bullshit cost the party. I look very forward to most of you losing due to your absolute hate-filled campaign to remove me from Congress arbitrarily. Now go tell the Republican base that you fucking idiots did 
and good luck raising money next quarter, unquote. Yes. I miss yeah, that man, man so much. Yeah. Bitchy, bitchy, bitchy. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 nothing worse than a Santos scorned, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on a related note to all of that, uh, whatever excuses Republicans make for their loss this week in New York 03, just remember, it's not Sean Hannity's fault. Definitely not. It's never this his fault. This is via Media Matters. Sean told his radio listeners that, listen, he told New York House Republicans to hold on to the reliable Republican vote from George Santos. Hmm? It's not my fault you lost that seat. Here's what he said, quote, until this election cycle, I frankly had not heard of Mozzie Pillip. We put her on the show to see, you know, if we can give her a chance to win. A lot of friends of mine cared a lot about the race. I didn't. (laughs) He didn't add. (laughs) And with the small margin of majority that the Republicans have on the House, they can ill afford to lose that seat. Now, what I had told the New York delegation when I met some of them at the town hall that I did with the new speaker at the time, Speaker Johnson, I brought this subject up with them unsolicited. And I said, guys, unless somebody's convicted, I don't think you should be in the business of rushing to judgment. And especially with the limited margin you have, kicking out a reliable Republican vote. That would have been Santos. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Don't blame Sean. No. Sean Sean. moved to Florida from New Mm -hmm. York Mm -hmm. (laughs) this year. And, you know, uh, it's adorable that Sean Hannity recording his show from his Florida tax haven basement pretends to care if Republicans are in the minority or not. He knows Joe Biden isn't going to give him a tax cut. Sorry, Sean. No tax cut for you. Unless you promise to build a microchip plant in Arizona, then maybe. Um, The Senate approved $95 billion in aid to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan by a 70 to 29 vote. That's 70 to 29. Despite efforts by Trump, hard right Republicans, and House Speaker Mike Johnson to kill the legislation, Senate Republicans supported the deal increased overnight with 22 Republican senators voting in favor of the package. Hours before the vote, Johnson preemptively rejected the legislation and said he would not bring the Senate package to the House floor for a vote. Further, many hard-right Republicans have threatened to oust Johnson if he brings the legislation up in the House. And then he went on a vacation for a week and a half. Yep. Yep. Let Mm -hmm. things cool down, I guess. Sure. But, you know, Biden points out that all of this money is going to be sent at defense manufacturing plants in the United States. Right. It'll be spent here. And any Republican that has a defense plant in their district is screwing their district. Uh, uh, Blue Gal? But, you know, um, they're, they're probably gerryman- and gerrymandered districts, so, you know, uh, but honest you, to God. Blue Gal, you know that, and I know that, but the creatures that yelled swamp, swamp, swamp at me, and you're an idiot, yeah. and Joe Biden's a pedo, yeah. they don't know that. They're morons. Yeah. The base are yeah. morons. They don't know how anything works, and anything that they're told on Fox News is the truth until they change their mind, and then it yep. becomes something else. So... The Supreme Court gave special counsel Jack Smith one week to respond to Trump's request to delay his federal criminal election subversion trial and, you know, give him presidential immunity. Jack Smith took one day to respond. Yeah, probably an hour. I'm guessing he had that locked and loaded ready to go. But this is from McKay Coppins. Uh, Trump, quote, has just signaled to the Kremlin that if elected, he would not only refuse to defend Europe, but he would gladly support Vladimir Putin during World War III and even encourage him to do as he pleases to America's allies, unquote. Yes, in an explosive statement on February 10th, Donald Trump encouraged Russia to attack NATO countries. We are not making that up. Nope. Trump said he would encourage Russia to do whatever the hell they want to NATO countries that were delinquent. And and you put in our notes, in meeting the group's guidelines for defense spending, that's not, he doesn't understand no. that. Pay your bills. Pay me. Pay, pay. me. My you can pay yeah. me so I can pay my lawyers or may, or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no mention of it on the next day's New York Times or Washington Post front pages. It's as if it didn't happen. Instead, the top stories were about President Biden's age. And over the following four days, the Times published 33 stories about Biden's age. Yeah. It is but her emails all over again. Yeah. And it's and we know why. And yep. and if you're if you're curious, 
consult Jameson Fozer's Finding Gravity. He will explain the whole thing to you. Uh, the two paragraphs I read are insufficient to sort of uh, get the whole uh, the, the whole color of the thing. But the New York Times is a Republican newspaper. In in fact, in, in fact, it is a Republican newspaper, and they live in an ivory tower and don't really give a shit about what's happening to the rest of the country because yep. they really don't think anything bad will ever happen to them personally. To them. And yep. that's what they care about. This was President Joe Biden's response to Donald Trump. Quote, the former president has set a dangerous and shockingly, frankly, un-American signal to the world. Just a few days ago, Trump gave an invitation to Putin to invade some of our NATO allies. He said if an ally didn't spend enough money on defense, he would encourage Russia to, quote, do whatever the hell it wants, unquote. Can you imagine a former president of the United States saying that the whole world heard it? And the worst thing is he means it. No other president in history has ever bowed down to a Russian dictator. Let me say this as clearly as I can. I never will. For God's sakes, it's shameful. It's dangerous. It's un-American. Amen, Joe. 100%. From Rachel Bittacoffer, at least 60 cents of every dollar sent to the Trump campaign is going to Trump legal fee grifting and not electioneering. Yeah. The House is screwed. Which you uh, you know it and I know it, but the base, they're just cattle. They don't know this. This is from Greg Sargent. Uh, just appalling. A new poll finds that Trump gets far less blame for killing the border deal than Biden does, even though Trump explicitly called on Republicans to vote it down. This is exactly why the GOP did his bidding and sank the deal. Trump gets far less blame than Biden for killing the deal, even though Republicans themselves said they were voting it down because Republic because Trump told them to. Democrats made most of the concessions. As David Frum noted, Trump himself said he wanted it as an issue. This is the part that there's no getting around the fact the base of the Republican Party is just uh, unrecoverably um, uh, dead, brain dead. There are a lot of words I want to use right now, and I'm (laughs) holding myself from using them. They are fucking zombies. You can't reason with zombies. Donald Trump said, kill the deal. Kill the deal. And, and Republicans went along with it. And now they're saying, well, you know, you didn't put the deal together. You didn't give it. The, and the base just looks at it with the slack-jawed, cow-eyed, dumb fuckers that they are. And they believe every word of it because they're just fucking zombies. And you can't reason with zombies. I wanted to add to this in the, in the Tom Swazi victory in New uh-huh. York 03 that yours truly wrote postcards to voters. Yes, you did. For that race. So the blue gal bump and the postcard bump is very uh-huh. real. And uh, Simon Rosenberg, who writes for the Hopium Chronicles, he's on Chris Hayes a lot. And he said on MSNBC twice that postcards were a factor and that Democrats are hungry to govern, hungry for victory. Yes, we are. And we have created, he also said, we have created one of the biggest mass movements of voter registration, voter, you know, prompting with calls and postcards and texting and connecting people to get elections won because mm-hmm. we want to win. Right. And I'm not tired of winning yet, Driftglass. No, and I would point out this, that Tom Suozzi is not a raging lefty Leftington no. socialist. He is no. not a candidate that you or I would put together in a lab if we wanted our perfect candidate at all. But well, he's a Democrat, and he will win and take a seat away from Republicans. Yes. He is pro-choice, and he is willing to work with the Biden administration to fix problems. And at this point, that's good enough for me. Well, when Nikki we... Budzinski, our own congresswoman right, in exactly. Illinois 13, is not a raging liberal either. No, she's she, not. She does, she's done union organizing. She's mm-hmm. pro-choice. She, but she's not going to set the world on fire and go run over to Bernie Sanders and start talking about socialized medicine. No, she will talk she's, about farm bills with him, but yeah, not, not she'll that. She'll talk about farm yeah. bills and she'll milk a cow on her Christmas card. That's but right. Competent backbenchers is what we need in the Democratic right. Party in the House because we're, we got Hakeem up front. Yeah. And Hakeem Jeffries is running the House and is going to count those votes and both Nikki Budzinski and Tom Swazi are going to be doing what what Hakeem Jeffries says to do. And you know what that that House majority will never do? They'll never privatize Medicare. Unlike say Republicans. Uh-huh. Yeah, Republicans are planning to totally privatize Medicare 
and eliminate any option that does not include Medicare Advantage, which makes private insurance companies rich. And they're happy to make their private insurance company donors happy that way. The right-wing policy agenda written for a new Trump, Donald Trump presidency that Project 2025 would greatly accelerate efforts to privatize Medicare. Mm-hmm. We're going to see gonna... ads on that in October. Yeah, I hope we see a lot of ads on a lot of things. Yeah. I, and um, uh, do you remember someone named Kaylee McEnany? Somewhere somewhere in the past, Kaylee McEnany? Remember her? Yes, I do. Yeah, she has a job on a TV station where someone points a camera at her and she says stupid things like this. Mm-hmm. Trump is pretending to have dementia as a political ploy. (laughs) That's the reason he's pretending that he doesn't have a brain in his head anymore. It's a political ploy. It's It's actually genius. Yeah, political ploy. That's, yeah. From the Huffington Post, surprise, surprise, quote, Chris Christie says he can't see himself voting for Joe Biden in the 2024 election. Drift Class, you were right about Chris Christie. Hit that hit that button again from uh I'm tired of being right. From that the one? bulwark. Uh, <laughs> no. we over here at the uh, professional level are tired of being right all the time. No, we're not. No. <laughs> Dirk Watts is right about this. Quote from Chris Christie, I'll wait to see the complete field before I make my judgment, unquote. The yeah. former GOP presidential candidate whose whole purpose of running was to stop Donald Trump. Yeah. That yeah. yeah no. Now Let's end on a bit of good news. This is from the Washington Post. Quote, welcome to Silicon Desert, how Biden helped boost an Arizona boomtown. This is, by the way, right around where my sister lives. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it it cuts a little close to home. Computer chip manufacturers are building giant factories in Phoenix, helping draw more blue voters to this vital swing county. It took 170 flatbed trucks to haul one of the world's biggest cranes the height of two Statues of Liberty, to the outskirts of Phoenix and start building a $20 billion computer chip factory. On the other side of town, an even bigger computer chip project is rising from the desert, requiring 12,000 construction workers and $40 billion of investment. Phoenix is a boomtown, thanks in part to President Biden. The promise of federal subsidies from the Biden-backed Chips and Science Act of 2022. Where have I heard about the Chips Act before, Blue Gal? Mm -hmm. I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure I've heard it from our governor, like every J.B. other Prisker day. every day. Yes. Mm-hmm. He couldn't be prouder of all the chips that are being manufactured. Yes, mm-hmm. right. And you hear us talking about our governor talking about it probably more than you want to. But we're still going to do it because we're not tired of winning. And it sparked some of the biggest investment projects in the nation's history, transforming Maricopa County into one of the world's most important manufacturing sites for the tiny components that power all modern electronics. Unquote. You know Yay. what we can say about J.B. Prisker, Drift Glass? Huh? He couldn't be prouder. Of you the couldn't state be of Illinois. You really couldn't be prouder. Mm-hmm. From WBEZ Chicago, the DNC is launching a neighborhood ambassadors program to recruit volunteers. Organizers want 12,000 volunteers from Chicago neighborhoods to make sure Chicago's neighborhoods see economic benefits from the Democratic Convention. Mm-hmm. Like you said, parking, $50. Parking. You think, <laughs> you think Cubs parking in the middle of summer is expensive? Please. Yeah. Please, you ain't seen nothing yet. Mm -hmm. Each week we post to our Facebook page and website at Internet Kitty sent in by you, the listeners. This week's Internet Kitties, plural, are Peanut and Gary. They're beautiful all-black cats who are definitely related to our own Olive and Barack Hussein, the Kenyan usurper. Brothers from another mother, we salute you. And of course, Peanut and Gary eat freshly poured cat food, our fake sponsor, whether you serve pet store perfection or dollar store dreck, your cat will sit on the kitchen floor and demand that the food they eat is only freshly poured. Freshly poured, freshly poured. Oh my Lord, it's freshly poured. And you can visit Peanut and Gary, beautiful cats with gorgeous eyes. Love those black cats at our Facebook page or website. And you can send your internet kitty dog or other pet to us at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com, where you can also... It's the DNC. (laughs) That's podcastable. (laughs) Is it run DNC? No, it's just the Democrats. Maybe they want us to be one of the neighborhood volunteers. We heard you were talking about us. You want to talk about the Chips Act? (laughs) Chips Act is pretty important. That's all right. The That's all right. DNC. Ring, ring away, buddy. That in, folks. 
Well, and that's that's the afternoon and the evening. The RNC calls, and that's oh, what and then the to. RNC calls. Yeah, they do. We get it's we very, get we get everybody. Yeah. We get it all. Anyway, uh, you can write to both of us. Feel free to write us. We love hearing from you. Be aware that if you write to us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or U.S. Postal Service. Go Postal Unions. Letter on the air, unless you say otherwise. And please don't forget our gourmet coffee guidelines. And DNC, this applies to you since you clearly <laughs> listen to this podcast. And it's not a call-in show, man. It's not a call-in show, okay? But if you can afford to call us at, at whatever it is, 5 o'clock at night, you can afford to buy us an espresso-based beverage for yourself. Buy one for us. You can afford it. You know you have the money to do it. This is not charity. This is our job. Jamie Harrison, stop calling us. We're not a telemarketing company. We can't, <laughs> we can't help you. We don't sell supplements. <laughs> if you can spare five bucks a month, please spare five bucks a month at patreon.com forward slash pro left pod. Please share our show on social media. And if you love this podcast, please get someone else in your life to listen for goodness sakes as well. And thank you really, really very much for doing that. Hey, Drift Class, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Well, Blue Gal, the Internet Kitties are giving up hairballs for Lent. One at a time and on the carpet. Let's think about living. Think about living. Let's think about loving. Think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the humping and the popping and the loving, loving, loving. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying and the fellow and the switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. The Professional Left Podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2024-25. GGBG Productions.